Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. So a bit late. I know we get ridiculed for often being late, but we are only slightly late this time because we have three brilliant guests, by the way. But one of those guests is over uh, the Atlantic because we're talking the war on trans people is what we're talking about today. And alas, it's not just a British phenomenon, though it has certain British characteristics. But uh, I think it was my fault because I didn't check out the time zone. And I can see now as well, we have that guest, Arden, here, which I'm about to just introduce them all very quickly before we do a little rundown and introduction. We are talking about the war on trans people and their rights. In fact, a war on their very right to exist, which is being waged in the media and by politicians on both sides of it, the Atlantic. I think it's important we join the dots. That's what we're going to do today. The reason this show is very important is because this debate has been dominated by people like myself, cis people. But generally, I have to say cis people with a very different perspective on trans rights than myself. That is uh, constantly talking about the very existence of trans people without trans people even being in the room. That's in broadcast interviews, that's in newspaper columns, that is amongst politicians. That needs to be corrected, and that's what we're doing today. So before we do my introduction, I'm just going to bring in, just so everyone knows, we've got our three brilliant guests. Let's bring them in. Come on, let's say hi to them all, and we'll check to see if Arden's uh, connection works, because we didn't test beforehand. We have the brilliant Arthur. Everyone, round of applause. Hello, Arthur. Hello. <laughs> We've got the brilliant Arden Hart, who is from across the Atlantic. Big round of applause. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Hey. And we have Felix Fern, who is also on this side of the Atlantic. Whoop, whoop. There we go. Uh, it's great to have you all. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, hi. Hey. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Arden, you've got a, we did not need, you've got a very professional setup. We didn't need to te test your setup, so <laughs> panic over there. Okay, what I'm going to do now is have a little rundown introduction. So we'll be back with our guests in just a few short minutes. So first, let's just have a little look at what we're talking about in terms of, if you like, the the war on trans people that's taking place across the Atlantic. It's been quite the week and quite a brutal week in lots of ways, which began, I suppose, with the British government. Uh, this was just over a week ago, actually, announcing at first that it was scrapping all plans to ban conversion therapy. So originally it was going to not do any ban on conversion therapy, whether that be for gay people um, who are cis uh, or whether that's people who aren't trans or uh, for trans people. Then they U-turned and said, actually, they will ban conversion therapy, uh, but not for trans people. Now, that caused, understandably, a big uproar amongst LGBTQ uh, people and their allies. There was a big international conference the British government was supposed to be hosting. Uh, LGBTQ organisations cancelled their participation. Here's a piece by Nancy Kelly, who is the head of Stonewall. That is not just actually Britain's main LGBTQ, LGBTQ, God, can't even pronounce the initials of my own minority, uh, of the head of the biggest LGBTQ civil rights organisation in Britain. It's actually the biggest in Europe, actually, uh, incidentally. Uh, a ceaseless war has been waged on Stonewall in the British media, including, I have to say, on Nancy Kelly, as was the case with her predecessor, Ruth Hunt. Because, of course, uh, those who argue that they're fighting against the silencing of women have decided to silence Nancy Kelly and Ruth Hunt. Uh, over and over again by morselessly monstering them online and in the British media as well. Now, we're going to have, I should apologise, I mean, bear in mind, we're going to have a show focusing on hearing from trans people. As I've said, trans people's existence are being debated and discussed by people who aren't trans. Let's just have a rundown just quickly. Here's a little clip from Boris Johnson, unfortunately our Prime Minister, talking about his justification, his rationale for not 
banning conversion therapy for trans people. I'm sad about their reaction because these are good organisations with whom uh, I, we have had you know, great relations over a long period of time. I'm very proud, by the way, of uh, everything that I've done and, and uh, our party has done uh, to, to champion these issues. I was one of the first uh, Conservatives to call for, for equal marriage. The Conservative government uh, brought it in. I think when I became Foreign Secretary, I, 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 I insisted that the LGBT flag should fly uh, even in, uh, over embassies where, you know, other parts of the, of the world where they didn't necessarily share our values. So I'm 100 percent committed to this. Uh, and we will have a, uh, a ban on, on, on gay conversion therapy, which to me is utterly abhorrent. Uh, but there, is, there are complexities and sensitivities uh, when you move from the area of sexuality to the question of gender. And there, there are, I'm afraid there are things that I think still need uh, to, be, to be worked out. I'm sorry we haven't been able to, uh, to reach agreement with I'm bored of that. Actually, just to, to be clear on this, by the way, Boris Johnson knows better than the British Medical Association, the UK Council for Psychotherapy, the British Psychological Society, MIND, and the Royal College of Psychiatrists. These are the actual specialists in the field, all of whom have condemned the British government for not having conversion therapy, which should be regarded as a form of torture against LGBTQ people. Now, statistically, it's shown that trans people are significantly, more than double, actually, as likely um, as people cis people or trans lgb people to have conversion uh, therapy uh, so this is something which is obviously a huge issue which he is failing to tackle he then carried on in that interview segueing into all sorts of different directions using dog whistles about biological men and also uh, attacking gillett competence which for those who don't know is in medical law allowing uh, those under 16 to be able to consent to uh, medical intervention without their parents not actually to be honest relevant to trans people overall uh i mean in, in in the way it's been presented far more relevant to abortion rights it should be said uh, and this just shows how this ricochets in lots of different directions now it's often said we need lgbtq representation and i agree with that to a degree and here's why i'm saying to a degree here's where treating a senior gay politician who was questioned and i have to say well i'll come on i'll, I'll just make make clear what the problem is here in a second about uh, 20 seconds left with you but it's really easy to you to give a really simple one word answer to this question so you've got time to answer um can a woman have a penis men have penises women have vaginas here ends my biology lesson that doesn't mean by the way that there aren't people who transition to other genders because they experience gender dysphoria and we should acknowledge that and, and, and conduct the debate in a respectful way that, that respects those people's rights and dignity. Where's treating? Can I just say, I've got a Labour MP on who can answer that question and uh, did biology... Oh, God, I'm getting, I'm getting a clap from Julia yes. Hartley-Brewer. This is the end of my lefty street cred now, if I had any end of it. Uh, he didn't have any lefty street cred uh, to begin with. Um, being clapped by a hard right commentator, I actually walked out of Sky News Studio quite notoriously um, after a home of, uh, after the attack, by the way, uh, across the Atlantic in Orlando when dozens of LGBTQ people were slaughtered, given her response uh, to that at the time. Um, I, I was taught as a child not to talk about strangers' genitals. At the age of five, I think I went around yelling Willie wee wee that kind of thing and then you kind of realize as a condition of adulthood you stop doing that someone's not told the british media this apparently having degrading conversation about people's genitals is acceptable now just to show now emily thornbury is not lgbtq but she was asked this question came up with a much better answer you know, women who are trans deserve to be recognized and yes you know, therefore some of them will have penises frankly i'm not looking up their skirts i don't care what I care about is that they're looked after properly and that they are not used as a political football by a prime minister who ought to know better. That wasn't hard. Very well done. Brilliant. Um, she has a trans relative. It does, in many cases, apparently make all the difference in terms of people's attitudes, though it shouldn't have to be that way. Now, in terms of other news, uh, it was reported that a third of British LGBTQ people have experienced abuse by their relatives, but that actually rises to over 40% for trans people. 
I, I've done a column coming out next week where I've interviewed lots of LGBTQ people about their experiences. The uh, anti-abuse LGBTQ charity Gallup, who did this, find that over 91% of those who face abuse or harassment by their relatives have long-lasting negative repercussions. We know amongst LGBTQ people that mental distress is significantly higher than the wider population. Also, drug and alcohol abuse, those are interlinked because often that's a form of self-medication for those who have suffered trauma and distress, so they cannot be disentangled. Now, of course, at the same time, and this goes on, I'm really sorry, I'm going to need to go on to the guest, but we've had a relentless panic, a moral panic focusing on the issue of sports. Uh, we've got this about cycling, about Emily Bridges, the cyclist who's who was dumped by email, as her mother says. Um, I mean, on this, you know, I mean, firstly, there's a reason they're focusing on this particular issue. Obviously, trans people are actually drastically underrepresented statistically in sport. They're very, they're very few uh, high-ranking trans athletes at all, actually. Um, and they're being presented as imposters and cheats rather than people who love sport and <laughs> want to just absolutely have a passion for sport like any athlete does, uh, but also whose lives are unbearable unless they transition. <laughs> Um, and and they're made to as though you know to, they're being told to choose between the two. Absolutely ludicrous. And the reason this is being focused upon is because lots of on both sides of the Atlantic, people who have never shown an interest in women's sports think this is a gotcha moment to put their uh, opponents on the defensive. This is the same strategy used by anti-abortion activists. It set people off when I said that, but it's true. Um, and just again, finally, given all of this, uh, trans people's mental health is at crisis point. The UK warn experts. Um, and the reason helplines are saying this is because media coverage has been so awful, uh, partly uh, across the board, not just the right wing newspapers. This has had a terrible impact on trans people's healthcare. Just finally, in America, because we're talking to Arden Hart, Alabama governor signs two anti trans bills into law. One criminalizes medical care for trans youth, and another requires students to use bathrooms that match birth certificates. This comes after the Texan government issued uh, a directive that. Uh, trans people, young trans people who have aff affirming medical care that will be treated as child abuse uh, in terms of criminalise their parents. And before I bring in, I guess, finally, we have here uh, Neil Rafferty, who is a gay Al Alabaman politician. And this is what he said in response to this legislation. Tell, put a target on children's backs. Put a, children, put a target on the parents' backs. And once again, get in the middle of their decisions and say, you don't, know what's, you don't know what's best. You'll know what's good for your kid. You'll know what's best for your family. Where's freedom in that? Where's small government in that? Please. I'm begging y'all. All right, I'm not begging. You're right, I'm not begging. You're right, I'm not begging. What's gonna happen is gonna happen. Just don't you dare call me a friend. Brilliant stuff, uh, courageous given that particular horrific toxic political atmosphere just before i bring them in then uh firstly do support us on patreon.com forward slash owen joe's 84 we're doing this show on a saturday not sunday the reason is is because we're going to france for the presidential election to film a documentary on whether marine le pen will win uh pretty alarming given the polls suggest she's actually got a very good chance of winning uh so thanks to your support we're making that documentary. Lots of you have asked us to make that documentary, so we're doing it. Uh, so thank you very much for suggesting it. Uh, so do support us. Or you can use Super Chat to put questions to the guests on YouTube, and also that will support that documentary and other documentaries as well. We're doing lots of interviews. I've not been doing this because of the book, but now we're going to start doing the documentaries and interviews properly all over again, as well as these shows. Uh, do press like on YouTube. Press the YouTube link. I know lots of you are watching on Facebook, but press YouTube. Do subscribe. And also listen to us on our podcast. That's enough for me. I'm bored myself. Let's bring in Arthur, Felix, and Arden. Hello. Right. I want to ask a quick question to all of you. Uh, I mean, firstly, you know, I was at an event, an LGBTQ event yesterday, and I spoke to an LGBTQ person who I know, and they just said they were exhausted after this week in particular, coming after lots of other weeks. I guess just a basic question, which is, how are you? How are you feeling at the moment? How would you explain to someone who says how you're feeling in the current atmosphere? Let's start with you, Arthur. Uh, I would say exhausted is fair. The sort of 
level of media coverage in the last week has certainly noticeably increased the level of abuse that I've been getting on social media. I mean, yesterday I posted two pictures of me wearing glasses and asked which ones should I pick? And I had people replying to me about my genitals and all sorts of other stuff. And it's just why when seeing a picture of somebody trying on two pairs of glasses did you immediately jump to what's in their pants what's wrong with you and it's just tiring to have to constantly go through and block these people whilst also seeing all of the coverage in the mainstream media it's just absolutely exhausting Arden how are you feeling over there we've just shown an example obviously from down in Alabama how, how are you feeling given what's happening in the United States yeah, uh, it's been definitely overwhelming here as well. I think, uh, you know, a lot of the adult trans people in the U.S. are trying to be conscious of, like, the the actual target of a lot of these bills, which is trans kids. But something I've brought up a couple of times is how that, that impacts trans adults, too. You know, if these legislations go through and uh, our healthcare providers are charged with, like, a felony for doing their due diligence and treating kids... Doesn't that mean that we would lose our healthcare providers? So certainly things feel very precarious and it's uh, hard to keep going when it feels like you are fighting uh, uh, like a a forest fire with a a plastic bucket of water. Felix. Yeah, very much echoing everyone else. I mean, I've been engaged very heavily um, in the activism scene for the last two or so years and in the like the last few months things have ramped up so heavily that the amount of losses we've had in the community from people who have not been able to keep their mental health stable has been so clearly a result of what's happening in the mainstream media and with the government and it's appalling because it is literally killing people and those who are still with us like myself and everyone else are struggling it's so incredibly tiring just wanting to be able to do your daily activities and live your general life, knowing that there's this constant pressure on you where any wrong move, if you are visible at all, means that you can be punished just for existing. In terms of conversion therapy, and I know, Arden, obviously you're across the Atlantic, but obviously conversion therapy happens on both sides, but we have this particular focus this week because of what's happened in this country. Now, I mean, it's interesting because the anti-gay moral panic often, well, it did focus on protect our children, we spoke the other week about Anita Bryant and her Save Our Children campaign. It was this idea gay people were, well, it said in the 70s, they, they can't reproduce, so they have to recruit. So it was this idea they, they were brainwashing uh, children with terrible long-term effects uh, for kids. In the 80s, it was this idea got mixed with HIV AIDS that there will be uh, your children will come out, uh, will be brainwashed into being gay, and these will be the terrible consequences for them. Um just let's just talk about this issue of so-called conversion therapy and what what you know this idea that i mean i would hope lots of people take it as read uh that you you can't de-gay someone nor should you want to and that why that should be the case with trans people as well let's mix it around felix let's start with you this time just in terms of conversion therapy and what it actually means when trans people are subjected to it and why it's a nonsense on its own terms it's it's such a similar thing to gay conversion therapy. We did a very impromptu protest outside of um, a large Christian organization that was trying to stop the ban on conversion therapy. And I had to witness um, Laura Kate Dale, one of the other members of Trans Actors UK, trying to explain to people over and over again the impact of it as she has gone through religious conversion therapy for being trans. And it's horrific. They use literally the exact same methods. It's the same subject and it's it's not therapy it's a practice and that practice is torture and it impacts people the exact same way you you cannot force someone into a life of misery if you do the consequences are never good um i feel very sorry for those who have undergone it and do believe that they are now living their truth and you know all the power to them they are doing what they feel makes them happy but i worry about people like that i worry about anyone who has undergone it and is on the other side because it's they're just a survivor of torture that's all it is arden you've got a really interesting perspective here because a lot of focus in britain is on those who've detransitioned and people who've detransitioned that's a valid experience longitudinal studies suggest it's about one percent um 
in the same way, abortion regret is a legitimate experience. Uh, it's actually higher, according to studies, about 6%. We don't make, we shouldn't make abortion policy based on uh, abortion regret and, and likewise. But Arden, what's interesting when people talk about detransition is they often think it's people who basically have decided actually they're not trans at all. Can you tell us your story and why actually even the focus on the very small number of people who do transition is actually, that whole narrative is actually far more complicated? Yeah, so I, I think kind of towards the data you're uh, uh, acknowledging there that when we're talking about people who detransition, a good portion of those people are not people who have realized, oh, I'm actually cis, I want to live a very heteronormative life. Uh, they are people who have experienced a lot of vicious abuse at the hands of you know, their family, their peers, or maybe their employer or their education. Um, and uh, as a result, will detransition out of protecting themselves. Uh, this is what happened to me. I actually transitioned at 14 years old and uh, experienced such horrific abuse at the hands of my peers that by 17, I had detransitioned um, because my peers had taught me that my transness was something to hate and something to hide. Uh, and uh, it took me a long time, another five years following that, before I realized that my transness was not something that I could step away uh, just because people maybe might have prejudice towards me or might harass me over it. Um, I needed to find community who would love me and support me, which another nod towards the data seems to be the actual uh, things that improve trans people's quality of life, supportive peers and environments around them. Arthur, I mean, a lot of the arguments which are being basically presented in support of conversion therapy or torture of trans people is that basically there is this big increase in girls who are presenting themselves at gender clinics who are actually either uh, actually lesbian, cis lesbian, uh, or they are struggling with puberty. I think those are the, that's probably the two main tropes, isn't it? So you can just explain why that those tropes are factually incorrect because they are being spread like i mean i mean for one i must be a very confused lesbian because i've been in a relationship with a man for the last <laughs> one and a half years so i've got that very very wrong um but i think there's a sort of a fundamental misunderstanding that like people are being pushed into this by family members by society as if people people's family would prefer to have a trans child than a gay mm -hmm. child as if that's more acceptable no most people who don't want a gay child would absolutely not want a trans child either and so people who are presenting at these gender clinics are likely trans the increase for example the increase in left-handedness after we stopped forcing people to use their right hands was immense now that we're slightly starting to accept trans people in society of course more people are going to come out as trans because it is becoming more socially acceptable and therefore people feel comfortable to go to their gps and ask for a gender clinic referral um, this week, as I've said, in, in Britain, I mean, I know, Arden, this has been going on in the United States. So actually, it's interesting. This issue is generally taken up by Republican politicians. That's not it's more complicated here because transphobia is just all over the shop, including lots of people who call themselves progressives and centrists and their American counterparts actually trans inclusive in a way that's not the case here. I don't want to be I know that's not an exact kind of, you know, over, it's not the exact overall picture, but that's there's a lot in that. Um, and the reason there's a lot of jubilance, uh, jubilance, that's not a word, jubilation, is they think on the issue of transports, they've got something which they can force their opponents constantly on the defensive in order to unpick trans rights as a whole. So we've got Julie Bindle here writing in the Daily Mail. You'd think that would give them pause for thought, but it doesn't. I, I worry about talking about Julie Bindle because she's completely obsessed with me. She tweets about me several times a week. She's attacked my, she attacked my parents, including my father, two months after he died on Twitter. Not ideal. Um, and uh, denounces the trans Taliban in speeches and claims she's not being hateful. Anyway, this week, Britain finally came to a sense on trans extremists and cried enough. She writes in a newspaper, which for decades has attacked LGB people, including lesbians like herself, um, and doesn't see doesn't seem to join the dots why they have to trans people now. Anyway, what do you think, Phil? Uh, Arthur, well, sorry, you, Arthur, sorry this time. Arthur, this whole focus, I mean, as I've said in the introduction, trans people are drastically underrepresented in sports, actually. Uh, what do you think, what's your response to the whole kind of focus on sports and what's going on there? Um, personally, I find it, a real, I, I don't know, I find it quite frustrating because last week um, we had a historic game between a team of all trans women and a team of all cis women and the trans women lost 7-0. 
So that completely obliterated all arguments that there is an innate biological advantage to being a trans woman, because clearly there isn't if the cis woman can win. But it also raises the point. Um, so afterwards, the Times decided to cover it by saying, because, you know, they couldn't argue that they have this biological advantage, they then decided to say that it was because the trans team was made up of all middle-aged, unfit people. And that sort of raises the point that actually we don't have a team of fully trained trans athletes that could go up against a team of fully trained cis athletes because so many trans people have been pushed out of sport due to coming out as trans. Like, for example, I used to play football for a women's team up until I was 13 when I came out and I had to stop. I didn't start playing again until I moved to London this year. That was 10 years out. And so many trans people have a similar story that we've been forced out of sports. So we are drastically underrepresented. And so any trans person that is going forward and is being their true selves in the correct gender for them as sports is becoming this huge headline because they're such an anomaly because so many of us don't feel safe in sports yet. Arden, as I've said, in, in the United States, this is generally Republican politicians who've seized upon this issue. So what, what do you think in terms of this this particular focus, which, by the way, erases the trans... I mean, in Britain, the first uh, trans athlete to qualify for the Olympics was actually a trans man. Um, but Arden, what, what do you think in terms of that particular focus? And as I've said, the actual underrepresentation of trans athletes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is quite clearly uh, an attempt from them to distract from probably the more dire things that trans people are asking for, which is like healthcare and an ease of access and getting, you know, uh, legal documents that affirm our gender and things like this. Uh, but I mean, even when we're talking about uh, the like alleged advantages that trans women might have in sport, uh, a lot of the data that's cited by gender criticals will even acknowledge itself that at a baseline, trans women aren't a representative uh, sample of cis men in terms of athletic performance. So I, I think it's just nothing more than an attempt to uh, get people to see trans women as men and uh, to use that uh, perspective to enact sort of these more harsh legislations. Uh, with the notion of men are invading our sports, not trans women are participating in sports. Felix, what do you, what do you think? Uh, I completely agree with both. And like Arden says, it's a distraction tactic. I think not only to distract from the actual trans issues that are important for us to discuss, but also a distraction from women's rights, because suddenly everyone is so interested in women's sports and protecting women and making sure they have a platform. Where were they for women's sports before? When were they platforming women before this? I guarantee that 99% of anyone talking about this subject has never cared about women's sports before. Anyone that I do know who is actually into women's sports, quite often cis men don't care about the subject because they're still interested in supporting all female athletes. It makes absolutely no sense. It's much like the same issues with the fact that underlying so much transphobia is a weird far-right agenda that is ultimately misogynistic. The fact that so many gender-critical people are also anti-abortion and anti-women's rights across the board. It's the exact same thing with women's sports. They don't care until it serves their own agenda. This point about healthcare, and we'll start actually with Arden on this because you raised it. I think it's so important because, I mean, particularly in the US because of... <laughs> let's be honest, your terrible healthcare situation in general, but it says obviously that particularly affects specific people more and trans people are obviously one of those at the top of the list. But the reason I think it's important to talk about this is again, this narrative, which is being promoted by much of the media, which is children, young children are being uh, basically being doing irreversible damage to themselves at a young age when they're impressionable and they can't make their own decisions. And, and obviously for a lot of trans people, they, pull their hair out over this because the reality has been in Britain stuck on waiting lists for X number of years. Uh, but Arden, let's just start with you. What is the state of healthcare for trans people in, in the US? Because I mean, it's very much a class issue, isn't it, in large part as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. I mean, if you are able to afford private health care, I am sure you and you're an adult, you might actually be doing okay, especially if you live in a major city, there might be some sort of clinic that has uh, a informed consent model. Um, but I think when we're talking about people who are being denied access to healthcare that are trans people, we're talking about minors, you know, especially those who might not have accepting parents in the home. And those are who a lot of these recent bills are uh, really targeting. Um, and kind of you, you made a little um, allusion to irreversible damage there. And it's kind of like I was saying with my story earlier, I always say the 
real irreversible damage that was done to me was the society that taught me that my transness was something worth hating um, and that's something I should hide. Uh, I had a chance to avoid going through male puberty. I was so close, but I denied myself that opportunity because of those things society taught me. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really a, a class struggle right now. And um, uh, I know there are so many families that are already uprooting their entire lives to try to get out of the states where they are becoming targets of this stuff. And um, it, it's already impacting families and individuals on a pretty intense level. Felix, let's, let's go and try and mix and match as best I can. Um, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the states of, if you to explain to someone who is cis, who doesn't understand what, what the process involved for getting gender-affirming healthcare in Britain, we have a national health service. Woohoo, people think. When you get this, as I've said, this narrative that kids are being medicated and doing, you know, damage without knowing the consequences, what's the reality in Britain? So the reality is that no trans minors have received any care for the last couple of years. Uh, it doesn't exist. Um, it has been on hold and remains on hold. Statistics have shown that for adults, it takes uh, a minimum of five years to get on hormone replacement treatment. And that's if you're lucky. So in theory, it'll take two to three years to get your very first appointment. It'll then take another two years to get your second appointment, by which time you might get HRT. Those waiting list times also exist for minors. At the moment, there is no realistic chance of someone being put on hormone blockers, which are completely reversible because of the waiting times. By the time they might get to a stage where they might actually maybe get medical treatment, by which time they've had years to ponder, years to consider, speak with their parents, their peers, medical professionals, counselors, they won't even be of age where hormone blockers will have the same impact anymore. There is no scary horror film transing of kids. When I've had the opportunity to speak with trans kids through activism, because we've had them speak at our protests, none of them have been able to get any kind of care all of their care comes from their parents and their community and their environment and even without any medical intervention just that chance to be themselves shows such a huge difference in how healthy and happy they are having assistance from our actual nhs would only improve that even more hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Arthur. How would you, what would you, you know, maybe talk about your own experiences or those of other trans siblings in the UK when it comes to healthcare, what the realities actually are? Well, healthcare for trans men is particularly bad at the moment because the NHS stopped doing lower surgery for about a year and a half, not due to COVID, but because they messed up some hospital contracts and didn't fix them for a year and a half. So there were trans men who were between surgeries, who had to have catheters in for years, who weren't able to continue with their journeys and that is medical negligence and it was only done on the basis of transphobia if it was any other surgeries that these people were going through that they were left in the middle for years at a time there would be outroar there would be suing of the nhs but because it was trans people we were left on our own to be able to deal with that and so they've recently started doing surgeries again but people being referred today are going to have to wait four years for their first surgery because of the backlog, because they're having to get through all of the people that were referred in the two years that they stopped doing the surgeries for, and all of the people that were already between surgeries that needed additional help. And so that's really, really bad, not just for people like me who are on the waiting list for surgeries, but particularly for those poor people who were stuck between surgeries who were told, you've got you know, a year's 
wait between each stage that have ended up with three, four years. That's it's just absolutely horrendous. And I don't understand, or I do understand why this has been allowed to go ahead. Um, in terms of the overall assault, I'm quite on trans people, which you see on both sides of the Atlantic. I mean, in the 1980s, you had, as I alluded to before, the anti-gay moral panic, which was, again, I mean, the, the songs really were the same, to be honest. It was um, would-be sexual predators, preying on and brainwashing children, defying the laws of biology. God made Adam and Eve. He didn't make Adam and Steve. Um, that this was uh, a defined by mental illness. Obviously, the World Health Organization only took homosexuality off its list of mental disorders in the early 90s. They've only just done that with trans people as well. Um, whether it be, why should the majority have to redefine themselves for the, this tiny minority? That this is a perverse fetish. I mean, we could, I mean it literally is this, this kind of done the same same tunes but it's it because in in the in the 80s what thatcher did is introduce section 28 which banned the so-called promotion of homosexuality in schools i i didn't grow up with any lgbtq education and obviously many others of my education of my generation didn't it was only repealed in the early 2000s and that was induced by the tories as culture war it was to kind of put labor on the defensive um and you got all these gotcha questions like with the equalize the age of consent oh you want 70 year old men to have sex with 16 year olds do you i mean it's the same sort of thing. You try and come up with particular examples to put their opponents on the defensive. What do you think really, because it's really escalated on both sides. In the US, it is really driven by the Republicans to a large degree. In in Britain, it's not just the right. What do you think's suddenly driving this? What do you, should we start with you, Arthur? Because I don't think we started with you for a little while. What do you think? Um, at the moment, it very much feels like a distraction tactic from everything that's going on wrong with the Conservative government, with particular the controversies around Rishi Sunak and his tax status. And so it doesn't, to me, feel like a coincidence that suddenly pretty much every member of government, you know, Sajid Javid, Boris Johnson, all of them have now suddenly got opinions on whether a woman can have a penis or not. It very much is feels to me like a distraction to try and divide the general public to make them forget that we've got you know fuel crisis we've got you know cost of living is through the roof and we've now got this controversy with Rishi Sunak as well to me it does not seem like a coincidence it very much feels like that they are chucking us under the bus in the vain hope that the general British public will forget the reason why they're angry at the Conservative government and to me it doesn't feel like it's working like on the whole stats show that British people are generally okay with trans people so i don't feel like this distraction tactic is going to work regardless of how hard the media and the conservatives try to push this but to, that that's how it seems to me that they are trying to you know look over there but look at these trans people not at me felix what do you think yeah i totally agree uh, there's also been issues with trying to discuss and pass even more dangerous laws um, like the so many issues we had in the new police bill that's being discussed. I think there's a big problem with intersectionality and the fact that if they can just pinpoint one group and make it seem really scary, we can all ignore the fact that they're also discriminating against these other groups, but they're doing it in a more sly way to suggest it's not a problem, um, such as the government claiming that they're not systematically and institutionally racist, even though hate crimes have risen, um, everything statistically suggests that's not the case but the fact that we've had black brown indigenous people have been more at risk recently there have been so many attacks on gypsy roma traveler groups um, and misogyny misogyny is still a big root of things which is also so closely interlinked with homophobia which i think we tend to associate homophobia being closest with transphobia because of LGBTQ+. And I think that's why homophobia has now been more on the rise, because if people are going to fight back against transphobia, they'll start to lean towards another group. It's all just one big blanket to attack people who are different. It's a domino effect. If they successfully attack us, they will just move on to another group. They successfully made lives hell for gay people in the 80s and 90s, and then they just merged on to other types of queer people and people of colour and it'll continue to get worse unless we actually opt for a government that isn't going to inherently attack anyone who is vaguely marginalised. Arden, what do you think? Yeah, I think it, I like that you noted to the, the Adam and Steve thing, because I think Governor Ivy in Alabama, before she passed the most recent uh, ban on trans health care, even cited her belief in God uh, as part of the reasoning. Um, 
uh, obviously I can't speak to the UK, but I think in the US, what we're seeing is sort of like, I I've been thinking it's the dying throes of the conservative uh, Christian nationalism sort of that we're seeing uh, an attempt to, you know, get the general public or at least that, um, that constituency to uh, dehumanize a certain group. That way they can continue their dehumanization efforts that I think they would like to to uh, en enact on other uh, minority groups. Like uh, women, obviously abortion rights have been a big target for a while as well. I believe there wasn't there a Republican uh, who recently came out saying that uh, interracial marriage and uh, marriage equality for LGB people should also be a state's issue. So I, I definitely think these are attempts from this sort of Christian nationalistic perspective to get their foot in the door for their constituency to be okay with them dehumanizing other groups of people as well. And we've talked obviously about some pretty depressing and bleak elements. Is there anything in terms of anything positives we should, we should be drawing on in terms of trans people fighting back kind of trans visibility, things that should give us hope. Felix, let's start with you. Is that what, what, what in terms of, you know, can we draw one? Because a lot of, I know trans people who I speak to um, on a daily basis feel very, depressed and scared at the moment. What are the kind of key positive elements of fight back and so on that we can draw on? Ultimately, we are still here and we're going to remain here. No matter how difficult it is for people to survive in this environment, we're never going anywhere. And I think trans people, because we have more community now, thanks to things like social media, whilst there's a lot of negativity there, we also have the benefit of people are more organized, they're more collective, they're able to support each other far more. So in doing trans activism, if it wasn't for people banding together, I wouldn't have been able to organize protests. We wouldn't have been doing what we are. Like the fact that the Safe To Be Me conference was canceled, that happened because people are banding together. That wasn't just organizations saying, oh, maybe we shouldn't actually support this. That was because of trans people behind the scenes talking to one another, engaging with grassroots groups and grassroots groups, grassroots groups, thanks to dyslexia, um, and actually discussing with one another what the problems are with the government. If people weren't doing that, we wouldn't see moves like that. From a media standpoint, it just looks like the government has had a bit of a hiccup and it looks a little bit bad. But actually behind the scenes, what it does is send a very clear message of solidarity that trans people are making a difference and we will keep making a difference. It will get better. It's just very hard work but people are doing that work and it's worth sticking around for and i think it's important to say as well what what you've referred to there in terms of the say to me conference and the mass withdrawal of lgbtq organizations it's been pointed out it's the most united the lgbtq communities have been against the government since section 28 in the late 1980s so it's, it's good that solidarity exists Oh, then let's just yeah in terms of over in the us and as i said i mean we're always interested here because we talk a lot about uh, the, kind of the British strain of uh, transphobia, if you like, the British British variant of uh, of, of the transphobic virus, um, which is, as I've said, it, it, you do have this kind of uh, more dominant so-called gender critical. They call themselves gender critical feminists, and they're they're strong in supposedly progressive liberal circles. Whilst in the US, them I would say much weaker actually in in so-called centrist or progressive circles. So does that give some hope at least there's a kind of more unity on the progressive or liberal or centrist or whatever side you want to call it uh, and what what all kind of things are of hope are there in the us yeah I, I mean i would like to echo everything felix said i think that the trans community and the queer community generally is uh, remarkably resilient uh you know no matter what you do to us the, uh we have a innate ability to come together in a way that I think is really beautiful. Um, but I think at least within our government here in the US, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to uh, stand Biden all day or everything he does, but I will say, uh, especially in response to the uh, order from Greg Abbott in Texas, uh, the White House made a very strong statement in support of trans rights and the um, HHS Secretary uh, also made a really strong statement um, in defense of trans rights that these sorts of bills were, you know, unconstitutional and unscientific. Um, so I, I think it's nice to know that at least some faction of our government is uh, at least aware of the facts around trans rights and is uh, going to, uh, even if they're just words for now, it's more than we've gotten from a lot of politicians in the past, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, 
and with that, like I said, the the facts are on our side. So that that's where I draw my hope from. Arthur, what do you think? I think sort of in terms of the more fluffy stuff, you know, there's more trans characters on TV than ever. There's more trans authors out there than ever. We are creating our own spaces and creating our own narratives. And the media can't get us to go away as much as they won't platform us on the news, as much as they won't give us articles. Fine, we'll make our own. Like, as much as they want to push us aside and make us be quiet, we won't ever be quiet. We have found our community. We're here. We have every right to be here and we will stay here. Like... We're like an awkward itch on your back. You really cannot get rid of us. We are here to stay. Sorry, not sorry. Just finally, then to wrap up and kind of a kind of proactive thing for cis people, what we can do to be allies, what we can do to support. And I should say, actually, just to flash up, uh, there will be a protest this Sunday outside Downing Street against. Uh, the government's refusal to ban conversion therapy or torture for trans people. So that's Sunday, 1pm. Obviously, lots of people now listen to this or watching this after the event. But nonetheless, if this is before the event, uh, Sunday, 10 o'clock. Uh, sorry, not 10 o'clock. Do not. Well, you can, but you're early. Sunday, 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock outside 10 Downing Street. No ban without trans. That is obviously against the government's refusal to ban conversion therapy. So what can cis allies do? Who did we start? I can't remember. Just someone pipe up. I can't remember whose turn it is. Uh, who? What can cis people do to support trans people? Our trans siblings. Who wants to, who wants to give a... To, who wants to start? Arden, go on. All right. Uh, you know... I get this question a lot and, and there's there's so many like different answers that I feel like I give based on the moment. Uh, I, I feel like it's maybe almost cliche to say listen to trans people and what we're talking about. Um, I, I think a lot of the, the, the temptation to just ask questions, that sort of stuff needs to stop. I, I mean, I'm fine with conversation, but I think, you know, these conversations need to be grounded in actual evidence um to when we're going to if we're going to put the rights of an entire minority group up for debate uh you better have some pretty good evidence for whatever kind of question you're having um and, and i think uh supporting uh trans kids and trans families uh, families of trans kids who are in uh dire need right now you know if you see those gofundmes for kids who are fleeing alabama being willing to donate i think that's pretty huge um and for the people who are like afraid of of how these things could impact trans kids, I I always like to ask people, you know, who who's who's going to come out of the situation stronger, right? That the kid whose parents told them that uh, uh, what they are isn't even real or is wrong or shameful or should be hidden, or the kid whose parents and community said, "Hey, look, I don't know where you're going to end up on the other side of this, but however it is, I'm going to be there to support you and to cherish you every step of the way." Um I think we really need to show our trans peers and trans kids that we're here for them and that we want to see them flourish and grow and to the best version of themselves. Um Arthur. Uh I would say uh get your voices heard because although yes we absolutely should be centering trans voices on this issue we are a very small minority and if it's just us shouting in the corner it's very easy for people to pretend that you know our issues are negligible if we have the whole lgbt community out there united plus allies there's no way that they can ignore us or i hope anyway um so i would say that if you are free make sure we come to the conversion therapy protest tomorrow um don't just wait to try and vote in the right people there's so much content i see on twitter about okay we just won't vote for the tories next time that that the next election isn't for another two years we need tangible change now and so we need to be loud we need to be proud in our allyship and we need to be present whenever trans people call upon you to be beside us essentially felix you've got the big honor of wrapping this one up so no pressure and actually felix just linked to that there was a question there actually which uh, was referring to what you said which was about uh, the unity you talked about uh, replacing the GC, that's so-called gender critical people with the currently mismatched media access. You actually do, you go into the talk radio, which is, for example, a pretty right-wing media outlet. But a lot of trans, it's difficult because I know lots of trans people think, why should they go on television or radio to debate my existence um, and refuse to do so as an understandable consequence? So what, yeah, just finally, what can allies do and just what, what your thoughts there about the media and trans people appearing on television or radio or to debate themselves? 
in terms of the media, things are slowly changing a little bit. Um, things we don't often see, and I hadn't seen until I had the opportunity, is that sometimes even the worst broadcasters have very human producers who don't represent the people they're working for. Um, personally, in this economy, I have difficulty having anything against them <laughs> uh, at this point because a job is a job. Um, there are people trying to make sure that we have better representation in the media. It's difficult because at the end of the day, we shouldn't have to debate our existence. Sometimes that is something we just need to put our foot down. If someone comes to you and says, would you like to be part of this documentary or this interview? You'll say, yes. Is it a debate? Then no. Or who am I up against? Who am I speaking with? Um, I was invited for something the other day and someone who was going to be invited on as part of a debate against me was a gender critical, very unpleasant person. And I pointed this out to the producer. That person's booking was cancelled. That won't always happen, but if you keep pushing, eventually it does get a little bit easier. And there are groups like Transmedia Watch who are trying to make things like that better. Uh, in terms of what cis people can do, um, the only thing that I would personally add is just empathy and listening to your own empathy and tying that in with intersectionality. It's so easy to be like, yes, I support these people, but not wanting to actively do something about it if it doesn't feel like it personally impacts your own life. But it will. It will eventually. There aren't ultimately that many people who are completely privileged, uh, whether it, you're working class or not white or queer or have some kind of background. There aren't that many people really who have every single privilege box ticked. So you might think that you're immune and fine and you could just stand by the sidelines, but eventually it will come to you. No one is safe from bigotry. So the easiest thing that you can do is ask yourself, what would I do in that situation? like who would fight for me and we need you to take it personally and not just consider it this thing outside of a box that's uh, if i sign a petition it'll be fine don't just sign a petition speak to your friends speak to your family and educate them and educate yourself don't just stand next to us be actually with us brilliant stuff honestly all three of you have i've been hugely educated and i'm sure everybody who's watched or listened to this will be hugely educated as well um just so much humanity and 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 thought and you know i'm sorry you've you're all having to go through this shitstorm at the moment but i hope you and other trans siblings know that you have so much support and solidarity from people who will always stand by you um but thank you so so much honestly it's such a such an honor you're busy people with lots of things to do arden had to get up very early so thank you for that uh <laughs> it's really appreciated uh but lots and lots of love and make sure you all look up and follow uh arthur weber uh felix f fern and arden hart um on social media they're all brilliant people and arden hart's got this brilliant uh phone in is it a phone in show well, it's a show yes it is a phone yep, in show look that up on youtube because it's uh, everyone raves about it uh but it was such an honor to have all of you and uh we will i will hopefully be at myself at the protest the problem is i'm going to france for the election so i need to work out what time my flight is but i will i will definitely be there if if i can so lots of love and solidarity everybody take care of yourselves thanks thank you take care bye bye thanks for having us thank you so much arthur uh brilliant stuff from everybody really I learned a lot and I hope everyone else learned a lot as well. Um, yeah, as I said, yeah, we've neglected the channel for, for ages because of my book, which uh, I, I keep going on about, but uh, we are now rearing it up again uh, rather than just keeping it ticking along, which is what we've been doing uh, each week with, so we're doing this documentary about the French elections. Will Marine Le Pen, the far right candidate win? Now people thought Macron was a walk, uh, would be a walkover. Well, no, it'd be a walkover for Le Pen, I suppose. Uh, it would, that Macron had it in the bag. Despite being a very unpopular president who's enacted some terrible policies, um, people just presumed that, you know, Le Pen's been beaten over and over again, both Marine Le Pen and also her father, Jean Marie Le Pen. Um, the, the first kind of shock for the French Republic on this came in 2002 when Jean Marie Le Pen got into the second round against. Uh, Chirac, the right wing, the Gaullist uh, candidate. Uh, and at the time, that was seen as an absolute horrific shock. No one expected it. People expected it to be, obviously, as it was seen then, between the socialists, um, uh, then the former president, Jospin, um, and Chirac, and it would be a straight left, so-called centre-left, centre-right fight. The far-right got in, and that a lot of people had to hold their nose and 
on the left and, and vote for, for the French equivalent of the Conservatives to stop that from happening. Well, now it's become a mainstay of French politics to have far right, the far right candidate go into the second round. And each time they get a higher vote. Uh, last time, uh, obviously, it was a decisive win for Macron uh, over Le Pen, but not as not as decisive as Le Pen's defeats were in the past. Now, Macron is a presented as a centrist candidate, but in practice is a right-wing neoliberal who's enacted assaults on uh, on, on social provision within France. Um, and his proposed policies, um, continued policies in that kind of vein, uh, which coincides with the fall in his polling. And what's disturbing is what Marine Le Pen has done. It's quite interesting because Jean-Marie Le Pen in the 1980s, as the far-right kind of rising movement, was very much a reaction against the socialist administration of François Mitterrand, who in the early 80s enacted policies which were actually pretty radical, to be honest with you. Their ministers, his ministers spoke about a break with capitalism. They had a coalition with the communists. That then swung actually to the right in the 1980s in line with the general political and economic trends in the Western world and beyond. Um, But actually, the far right then posed as being quite neoliberal, I would say. But now they've adopted the rhetoric and some of the substance of left-wing economic policy. So they're vying for kind of being racist um, as well as being um, economically interventionist. David Borata asked, what's happened to the left in France? Very good point. So the... Socialists were obviously a massive party in France, uh, one of the main parties of the French Republic. Um, And you had uh, François Hollande, who became the president in 2012, promising to break with austerity. He did not do that. That caused massive disillusionment amongst his base and caused a fracture within the so-called centre-left within France. And what happened there is some of them, the overtly neoliberal types, went with Macron, um, who obviously formed his own centrist formation, um, and then on the other hand, you got the left who dissented from that, who went to um, to France Insoumise, led by uh, Mélenchon, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, um, who became the standard bearer of the left. Um, so in the last presidential election, 2017, Mélenchon, there were four top candidates and Mélenchon was one of them. They were actually pretty close together in the first round, because bear in mind, in the French presidential election, you get the first round, then you get the second round. Uh, so we've got the first round coming up tomorrow, Sunday. And then two weeks later, you get the second round. In the first round, it's a free-for-all. In the second round, there's only two candidates who get the top percentage. Uh, the socialists have collapsed as a political force on about 2%. It's absolutely astonishing um, because, well, for that reason, they divided their base into two different directions because of their policies under Francois Hollande. Um, so th- the odds are it will be between... Um, Macron and uh, Marine Le Pen, there is a chance Mélenchon has risen quite dramatically and is kind of, um, kind of, I guess, you know, the, the competitor to Marine Le Pen for the second um, choice. It depends whether the other, there's some other left candidates, do their voters um, shift to Mélenchon now to stop Le Pen getting into the second round. It's on them, really. If they don't, it will be between the two. Now, the polling has massively narrowed. It showed a big, decisive lead for Macron. Um, But one poll showed Le Pen winning. Now, I still think the odds are that Macron will win, but it's not definite. There's a very significant chance. And some people are comparing this now to the Brexit result or Hillary and... Uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump in 2016 because, you know, people kind of think, presume there'll be an obvious outcome, um, but the polls are shifting in a particular direction, which is very close. And actually you can see with one poll already how Le Pen could win. Another another poll, it was 51-49 for Macron, but that's still very close. It's only two weeks till the final round. So there's a big question mark. Anyway, it's interesting, isn't it? Uh, I'll go to France. We'll go into France. Thanks to you. So thanks for supporting us at patreon.com forward slash joes 84 So we're going to do more of these documentaries. That was one of the main points of the channel. I'm sorry, we've had to just keep ticking it over. I just didn't have the time because of my book and the other commitments I had, but we're just sorting that out now. So we'll do that documentary and other documentaries. Um, do Thanks to David Bauer today, obviously, and Tad, and uh, to uh, uh, M, 
uh, answer. Um, so we've got lots of those to come, and I will. We're going to be interviewing again. We've got starting to line up some great interviews. I need to, Nish Kumar. I need to get back to him, for example. Uh, some of you want me to interview Peter Hitchens again. He's up for it, so we'll do that. We did say we'd speak to different different perspectives, obviously. Uh, but we've got a long list. I'm going to get in touch. I'm going to get in touch with Noam Chomsky and Judith Butler, who we previously interviewed. But a lot's happened since. Uh, but there's lots of other examples. So I'll, anyway, I'm going to do a post on Patreon after this to ask for those suggestions. Great. Thanks for everyone. Thanks for the guests. And yeah, as I've said, we will be doing far less of the ticking over the show and doing doing more of these and for the podcast, etc. as well. All right, everyone. Speak to you soon. Looking forward to our documentary about the French presidential elections. I'm excited. Uh, lots of love and I will see you shortly. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon.